everyone. Welcome back to all my listeners. Now, I hope you're all having a great day so far. I know I am. Now, if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to episode 10 of my fifth season. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. My name is Sonal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. All right, guys, now I've got so much to unpack today. Now, in my compliance tip today, I'm going to be diving back into my series on back to basics with advanced beneficiary notices of non-coverage, those ABNs. And today is also the second Wednesday of the month where I share my very newsworthy OIG work plan update. And I go ahead and round out today's episode with a remarkable quote on clarity and focus from Dolly Parton. If you checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and recommendations based on my over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding and billing for multi-specialty physicians, compliance and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. Remember, these are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into newsworthy. I wanted to go over the 10 new February 2022 updates made to the OIG work plan. Now, the first OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Ensuring Dual Eligible Beneficiaries Access to Drugs Under Part D, Mandatory Review. Now, this is an audit stemming from the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. Dual eligible beneficiaries are enrolled in Medicaid, but they do qualify for prescription drug coverage under Medicare Part D. As long as Part D plans meet certain limitations outlined in 42 CFR Section 423.120, Part D plan sponsors have discretion to include different Part D drugs and drug utilization tools in their formularies. Now, the OIG will review the extent to which these drug formularies developed by Part D plan sponsors include drugs commonly used by dual eligible beneficiaries as required. Now, the Affordable Care Act in Section 3313 requires the OIG to conduct this review annually. This final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the second OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Medicare Part B Drug Payments, Impact of Price Substitutions Based on 2020 Average Sales Prices. Now, this is an audit coming from the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. 
when Congress established average sales price, that's the ASP, as the basis for Medicare Part B drug reimbursements, it also provided a mechanism for monitoring market prices and limiting potentially excessive Medicare payment amounts. The Social Security Act mandates that the OIG compare ASPs with average manufacturer prices, or AMPs. Now, if the OIG finds that the ASP for a drug exceeds the AMP by 5% in the two previous quarters or in three of the previous four quarters, the Secretary of HHS may substitute the reimbursement amount with a lower calculated rate. Now, over the past decade, the OIG has produced annual reports aggregating the results of mandated quarterly ASP to AMP comparisons. This annual report will quantify the savings to Medicare and its beneficiaries that are a direct result of CMS's price substitution policy based on 2020 ASPs and may offer recommendations for Medicare to achieve additional savings. Now, this final report is expected again in fiscal year 2022. Now, the third OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Biosimilar Trends in Medicare Part B. This analysis is stemming from the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. Biologic drugs, complex molecules produced in a living system are among the most expensive drugs on the U.S. market. Biosimilar drugs are highly similar and have no clinical meaningful difference from their reference biologics and also tend to be less expensive. Medicare Part B and their beneficiaries have the potential to spend less on prescription drugs with the increased use of biosimilars rather than their reference biologics, but their use remains quite low. Limited biosimilars use in Part B may be related to how providers are reimbursed for these drugs currently. Providers currently do not have a strong financial incentive to use less expensive biosimilars. So this particular study will describe the use and the cost trends of biosimilars and reference biologics covered by Part B over time. It will also determine how much Medicare and beneficiaries paid for the biosimilars and reference biologics covered by Part B in 2021. And then we'll compare those costs to determine how much Part B and beneficiaries could have spent with increased use of biosimilars or with different reimbursement policies. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. The fourth OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Audit of Administration for Community Living's Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act funding for the Older American Act Nutrition Services Program. Now, this is the review coming from the Office of Audit Services. Through the Older Americans Act, the OAA Nutrition Services Program, the Administration for Community Living provides grants to states and U.S. territories to help support nutrition services nationwide for individuals aged 60 or older. Now, these services include both home-delivered meals and meals served in group settings, such as senior centers and faith-based locations. And remember, back in March of 2020, many state and local governments across the country 
instituted stay-at-home orders that confined individuals to their homes except to shop for essentials or to seek medical attention. And because seniors are at higher risk of hospitalization and death due to the complications of COVID-19, the CDC advised them to have limited interactions with the general public. And consequently, many of the congregate meal locations closed and those that did not close were cautioned to prioritize the safety for clients and providers. So thus, COVID-19 increased the need for home-delivered meals. And remember, on April 21, 2020, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, the CARES Act, provided approximately $480 million for the OAA Nutrition Services Program to expand drive-through or grab-and-go meals for older adults who previously would have participated in the congregate meal programs. Now, the OIG's audit will determine whether CARES Act OAA Nutrition Services Program funds were used in accordance with federal and state requirements. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. Now, the fifth OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Audit of the Center of Disease Control and Prevention Grants to Recipients for COVID-19 Screening Tests at Schools. Now, this analysis will be conducted by the Office of Audit Services. The CDC's Epidemiology and Laboratory Capacity for Prevention and Control of Emerging Infectious Diseases, the ELC program, provides strategic investments aimed at reducing infectious disease-related illnesses and death through its cooperative agreement with health departments throughout the United States. Financial resources and technical assistance are provided each and every year to 64 jurisdictions to support activities related to surveillance, detection, response, and prevention of infectious diseases. Now, the American Rescue Plan, the ARP Act of 2021, which was enacted on March 11th of 2021, provides additional relief to address COVID-19's continued impact on the economy, the public health, state and local governments, individuals, and businesses. Now, the CDC, through the ELC program, provided $10 billion in ARP funding to states to support COVID-19 screening testing for teachers, staff, and students to assist schools in reopening safely for in-person instruction. Now, the $10 billion under the ELC reopening school awards was awarded to the current 64 ELC jurisdictions according to a population-based formula. The OIG's first audit will determine whether the CDC provided effective oversight to the ELC recipients in implementing the screening testing programs. Now, in the second phase of audits, the OIG will determine whether select ELC recipients had controls in place to monitor schools in implementing COVID-19 screening testing programs. And in addition, they will finally determine whether select ELC recipients and schools used the ARP funding in accordance with federal requirements and under the applicable grants terms. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. Now, the sixth OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Medicare Beneficiaries Receiving Buprenorphine for the Treatment of Opioid Use Disorder. 
Now, this audit is being conducted by the Office of Audit Services. Opioid-related overdose deaths in the United States are at an all-time high, with an estimated 76,000 deaths in the 12-month period ending in June of 2021. Now, as these numbers continue to rise, it's essential to ensure access to medication to treat opioid use disorder. Buprenorphine is the most commonly used medication to treat opioid use disorder and has been shown to decrease illicit opioid use and opioid-related overdose deaths. However, it also has a risk of diversion. So to address this risk, providers must obtain a waiver through the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to prescribe or administer buprenorphine in office-based settings. Now, in April of 2021, the Biden-Harris administration released its drug policy priority areas for its first year in office, which include removing unnecessary barriers to prescribing buprenorphine and identifying opportunities to expand low barrier treatment services. Now, as the department and the administration consider additional changes to the requirements regarding buprenorphine, it is important to balance the need to increase access while minimizing diversion. So this OIG study will provide insight into the use of buprenorphine among Medicare Part D beneficiaries, including the number who are receiving concerning levels of buprenorphine. It will also detail the prescribing patterns of providers who order buprenorphine for these beneficiaries. Now, the final report here is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the seventh OIG work plan update for 2022 February is titled Audit of CDC's COVID-19 Awards to Selected State Departments of Health. Now, this audit is being conducted by the Office of Audit Services. During 2020, Congress approved five COVID-19 appropriation bills. The first is the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. The second was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. The third was the CARES Act. The fourth was the Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Enhancement Act. And finally, the fifth was the, was the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. Now, the CDC distributed funds from these appropriations through existing grants and cooperative agreements to provide support for core public health response activities, such as epidemiology, surveillance, laboratory capacity, infection control, mitigation, and communications. Now, these distributions increased some states' normal annual award amounts by approximately three to four times. Prior OIG audits have identified potential risk areas related to influxes of appropriations to states. Now, their objective will be to determine whether selected state departments of health used their CDC COVID-19 funding in accordance with award requirements. So this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. Now, the eighth OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Nursing Home Capabilities and Collaboration to Ensure Resident Care During Emergencies. Now, this is an this is an analysis, excuse me, stemming from the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. 
Nursing homes face a broad range of challenges from public health emergencies, such as emerging infectious disease outbreaks and natural disasters. So to protect residents and prevent disruption of care during emergencies, nursing homes must develop and maintain an emergency preparedness program that addresses a wide range of issues from maintaining emergency supplies to collaborating with local emergency responders. So despite these requirements, recent emergencies have exposed weaknesses in nursing home emergency preparedness. So this study will survey the challenges nursing homes face in preparing for emergencies with specific focus on their capabilities for managing resident care during emergencies, as well as their collaboration with community partners like other healthcare providers, emergency management agencies, and, and the like. The OIG will present their findings in a data brief. They will also use a portion of the data collected for this particular study for a new key performance indicator that will track the prevalence and severity of challenges experienced by nursing homes over time. Now this final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now the ninth OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Audit of ASPR's Actions to Address Previously Identified Deficiencies in HHS's ability to coordinate the federal government's response to emergency events. Now, this is an analysis stemming from the Office of Audit Services. To improve the nation's public health emergency management and response, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, the ASPR, was created back in 2006 under the Pandemic and All Hazards Protection Act. ASPR leads the nation's medical and public health preparedness for response to and recovery from disasters and public health emergencies. The Secretary of HHS designated ASPR as the department's coordinating body to ensure integration of federal preparedness and response activities for public health emergencies. The National Response Framework is a guide to how the nation responds to all types of disasters and emergencies and is comprised of Emergency Support Function, ESF, annexes. Now, HHS is the coordinator of ESF number eight, which is for public health and medical services. The Secretary of HHS, through this ASPR, coordinates National ESF number eight, preparedness, response, and recovery actions. For the last 10 years, the OIG and other federal agencies have conducted reviews of HHS's coordination of response efforts to emergency events such as hurricanes, wildfires, and emerging infectious diseases like our Ebola, Zika, and now, of course, COVID-19. These reviews identify deficiencies in HHS's ability to coordinate the federal government's response to a public health emergency. The OIG's objective will be to determine whether ASPR has implemented controls and mitigating strategies to address identified risks associated with coordinating the government's response to emergency events. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. Now, the 10th and final OIG work plan update for February 2022 is titled Audit of the Administration for Children and Families Awarding and Monitoring of Unaccompanied Children Program Contracts 
for emergency intake sites. Now, this is an analysis stemming from the Office of Audit Services. The Office of Refugee Resettlement, the ORR, which is a program Office of the Administration for Children and Families, the ACF, within the HHS, manages the Unaccompanied Children Program. Now, in fiscal year 2021, an influx of unaccompanied children began arriving at the U.S. southern border, coinciding with the nation's ongoing efforts to control the spread of COVID-19. As a result, ACF identified a need to increase the number of shelter beds in its provider network and entered into contracts for shelter and related services for unaccompanied children. In addition, ACF opened a new type of provider facility known as an emergency intake site, or EIS. So the OIG will determine whether ACF awarded, monitored, and terminated contracts for EISs in accordance with federal statutes and regulations, as well as HHS policies and procedures. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2023. Wow. Oh my goodness, right? So again, these are 10 OIG work plan updates for the month of February. The OIG simply never, ever tire, do they? I report on the OIG work plan month after month, and they literally have provided between six to 10 updates each and every month starting from the middle of 2021 in the midst of a pandemic. So I believe that statement truly, they never tire. They're always busy doing their work on a myriad of audits and inspections, despite the very lengthy public state of emergency that we're all still enduring. Now, I do understand all of these audits at hand, especially the one on nursing homes, because they really were struck um, in, a, in a panic situation, and we saw the quality of care um, decline in so many of our nursing homes across the nation because of the lack of emergency preparedness in these types of infectious disease situations, right? So I'm very much looking forward to that particular OIG work plan report when it is finalized in 2023. I'm excited to read it. So I am happy to provide these monthly OIG work plan updates. I believe this is critical information to pass on to providers who need it to review their coding and their billing practices and their overarching compliance programs. I think these reports with findings are always most interesting and informative. And I always, like I keep saying, look forward to analyzing them in the years ahead. It's also very important for my listeners to pay attention to these monthly OIG work plan updates to see how they may impact you, your provider, or your health system. So please stay tuned for my monthly OIG work plan updates because they still drop the second Wednesday of each month. And now it's time for my best practice tips and trusty tip. Even though it's already 2022, I'm still seeing issues with Medicare ABN forms. So today I wanted to highlight advanced beneficiary notices of non-coverage, those ABNs in my series on Back to Basics. 
So why don't we start with some ABN requirements that did change slightly earlier in 2021. Now, effective on October 14th, 2021, there were a few fine detailed changes made to the ABN use. You can find these changes in the internet-only manual 100-04, the Medicare Claims Processing Manual, Chapter 30, Section 50. So I wanted to highlight that there is a period of effectiveness or repetitive or continuous non-covered care section in Section A that I think is very important to address. So it states, quote, an ABN remains effective after valid delivery so long as there has been no change in the care from what is described on the original ABN, the beneficiary's health status, which would require a change in the subsequent treatment for the non-covered condition, and or the Medicare coverage guidelines for the items or services in question. And they state, which means updates or changes to the policy of an item or service. And then they highlight a note, an additional note. If any of these above changes during the course of treatment occur, a new ABN must be issued. So it goes on and says, quote, for items or services that are repetitive or continuous in nature, notifiers may issue another ABN to a beneficiary after one year for subsequent treatment for the non-covered condition. So that's something brand new that was effective on October 14th of 2021. So let's be mindful of that new language. Now, however, this is not required unless any of the conditions described above apply to the given situation. So it has to be a new non-covered condition, okay? Then it also goes on and says that notifiers may give a beneficiary a single ABN describing an extended or repetitive course of non-covered treatment provided that the ABN lists all items and services that the notifier believes Medicare will not cover. So if it's applicable, this ABN must also specify the duration of the period of treatment. And then if during the course of this treatment, additional non-covered items or services are indeed needed, the notifier must give the beneficiary another ABN. So keep in mind and keep your close eyes on that section A because all of that language is in red um, because it's brand new. So you should be mindful. Now, all providers are required to use the CMS ABN form. Remember, it has to be from CMS. It can't be something that you create on your own. So it's a CMS ABN form. It's available on the CMS website. It's form number CMS-R-131 with an expiration date of 2023. So that is the current ABN that is in use today. So make sure you look for it. It's in the bottom of the page, CMS-R-131 with an expiration date of 2023. Now remember, it is not appropriate to ask patients to sign ABNs for each and every service. The ABN form must be reproduced as a single page. 
you can customize some of the fields of the ABN, but only some. So follow those instructions that go hand in hand with the ABN form. Now, the ABN form must also be presented to the patient before the service or the procedure is initiated. So you have to deliver it to the patient beforehand. Now, this ABN form must also be verbally reviewed with the patient and or his representative with any questions that they raise during that review, you have to answer them before they sign the ABN. And then the ABN must also be delivered far enough in advance, right? Not just five minutes before you service the patient. It has to be delivered far enough in advance that the patient or the representative has time to think about, right? To consider the options and make an informed decision. And then the ABN form must also be, of course, maintained in the patient's medical record. That signed copy has to be kept in the patient's record. Now, you also must be issuing the ABN when there's a Medicare item or service that is not found to be reasonable or necessary under the program standards, including care that is not indicated for the diagnosis, not indicated for the treatment of the illness, not indicated for the injury, or not indicated to improve the functioning of the malformed body member. And don't forget, it should be um, included if it's experimental and investigational or considered to be for research only purposes. And you can issue the ABN when there's more than the number of services allowed in a specific period for that diagnosis. So also you can issue the ABN when you're providing custodial care. You should also be issuing that ABN when there's outpatient therapy services that exceed the therapy threshold amounts. You should also be issuing that ABN before caring for a patient who isn't terminally ill, like your hospice providers, right? And then you must also be issuing that ABN before caring for a patient who isn't confined to the home or doesn't need any intermittent skilled nursing care services like our home health providers. And then you should also be issuing that ABN before providing a preventive service, which is usually not covered by Medicare and won't be covered unless it's for specific situations when services again exceed frequency limitations. And you should also be issuing the ABN when you're providing a Medicare item or service that Medicare doesn't cover, like some of those durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies, those DME POS suppliers that I'm talking to here, right? Because some providers um, are accepting prohibited unsolicited phone contacts, or the supplier hasn't met any of the supplier number requirements or there's non-contract suppliers that provide the items listed in a competitive bidding area, or the patient simply wants the item or the service before the advanced coverage determination is issued. So those are some of those main times that you should be delivering those ABN forms. So, all right, it's very important to stay on top of your ABN requirements for the form itself, right? Not just simply adding those ABN modifiers of GA, GX, GY, 
and GZ to the service line items. It's critical that forms are not pre-populated with check marks made in the boxes where the patient is instructed to do so. So again, be mindful and read those instructions that accompany the ABN form because Medicare considers ABN forms like that to be invalid. So be mindful and read those instructions. So a better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time. So your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus season five spark on clarity and focus. I want this fifth season spark to be filled with the world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for clarity and focus in all that we do. So in this week's inspiring quote in spark, is from our very beloved country singer, Dolly Parton. If your actions create a legacy that inspires others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are an excellent leader. Absolutely true, right? I think this is an amazing quote that reminds us that our clarity, our focus, and our actions create a legacy. We all have that ability to inspire and lead. I am so happy Dolly Parton's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please have an amazing week ahead and please continue staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for listening in on today's episode, and I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.